0: In episode 456 with Lisa Biliou, we talk about how to get radical confidence. We also talk about how to master your inner mean girl. She had a very, very loud inner mean girl. We talk about self-love and making the decision to not have children and to be a boss babe instead. Plus, so much more. The Melissa of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because we talk about something that I haven't spoken about ever before on the show, and that is a woman's decision to have children or not. And Lisa shares her decision around not having children with us and the whole thought process around that, which I found so fascinating. And this is a topic that's often shied away from, and I really feel like it shouldn't be. We're all grown adults here. We can all have an open, loving conversation about this. And I love how she shared about this, and you guys are gonna love it too. We also speak about people pleasing, which is something that this is just gonna help so many people, and how she healed herself and her health journey, which I found really fascinating. We talk about goals and goal setting and so much more. And for those of you that have never heard of Lisa, she co-founded Quest Nutrition, which grew 57,000% in its first three years. That is huge. She also is the co-founder and president of Impact Theory Studios, a revolutionary digital first studio that produces wildly entertaining original content focused on themes of empowerment. Yes, talking my language. Throughout her career, she has created a slate of content that has been viewed over half a billion times, and by overseeing all in-house content development at Impact Theory, she, along with her husband, Tom Billyu, have built a global audience of over 7.5 million people. Wow. She is the host of the digital series, Women of Impact, and she spends her days having real, uncensored conversations with the most inspiring women. She lives in LA with her husband and two fur babies. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 456. Now let's dive in. Beautiful Lisa, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast
1: this morning? Ah, I didn't expect that question. What I had for breakfast, so I have the same thing every day because I don't like wasting even a moment of having to decide what I'm going to eat because I like to put that brain energy towards my business. So I eat chicken encrusted in almond flour that I have a friend make for me. So I have massive health issues. And so he makes a clean grilled chicken in almond flour. He uses oregano. I use 100% olive oil. And then I get olives. And the olives have to be marinated or in the jars, but they can't be in a bunch of oils. So it has to be just like a balsamic vinegar type thing. And then I have asparagus, grilled asparagus. Mm, Yum. I love asparagus. Tell me about these health issues. What's your health journey been like? Oh, God. So growing up, I saw every which way that women tied their validation and their self-esteem to how they looked. And so growing up, my mum was borderline anorexic being greek orthodox the greeks aren't very friendly or polite when it comes to your weight so if you're the person where let's say you've gained 10 pounds and you go and see them they'll say to your face oh my god you've gotten fat so and it wasn't a compliment as you can imagine and so i definitely got a lot of mess i mean literally to your face where it'd be the point where people my grandmother would be like oh you're, you're too fat to have a baby i mean they would just i would hear them say that to women Look, my grandmother comes from a tiny, tiny village in the mountains of Cyprus and didn't even have a high school education. So I need people to understand where she came from and the life she grew up in. And so I don't judge her for it, but that was definitely how I grew up. So of course, I, well, not of course, I happen to have been skinny. But as you go through puberty, guess what? I was taking shape and not in all the places I really wanted to and i had very low self esteem so my boyfriend pinched my thigh one day and was like oh my god you're getting fat and because i didn't have any boyfriends i took that as basically the sign of if you want to be liked if you want to fit in if you want to be feel good about yourself then you need to make sure you don't and that is where i started to fear fat i started to fear carbs and the bad news is i have a very strong mindset so if i told myself hey you're not going to eat fat or carbs i didn't eat fat or carbs now Flash forward, 15 years later, I work extremely hard. I'm grinding, building Quest Nutrition with my husband and business partners. And every single day, I ignored my body. Every single day, I validated myself on how much I was on the grind and how much I was bringing to the table because I felt very inferior and very out of place and the imposter syndrome of being in business as a woman and all of that. So I was on the grind. And so every time I was getting sick, I was ignoring it and I was pushing my body. And it got to the point where I couldn't believe, but our dream came true. Quest actually became a huge company. We actually made money from it. And in our hard days of growing it, we would drive around Beverly Hills and wish about like, point out like, all right, you know, we're on the grind, but when one day we get enough money, we're going to buy this house in Beverly Hills. And it actually happens. The money actually hits our account and we can actually afford a house in Beverly Hills. And so we buy the dream house. And the dream for me was always, I'm a 90s girl, so I love hip hop, uh, the hip hop 90s. And so I was like, babe, I really want to like one day do a video, like a fun little like selfie video of me under a waterfall with Dom on in our Beverly Hills mansion. And so here I am. We actually have the house in Beverly Hills. We actually have the waterfall. We've got a bottle of uh, Dom on, And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be like, finally do my nineties hip hop video that I've always dreamt about doing. I take a swig of the champagne. And that is what I say in the book is the moment that my gut literally felt like it exploded. Now, in hindsight, it was years and years of not having a healthy relationship with food and calories, getting sick because our immune system, 70% of it is carried in our gut. I didn't know that either. So I was getting sick a lot. The doctor just kept giving me antibiotics. So it got to the point where four five times a year I was taking antibiotics for 10, 15 years. And so I was getting more and more gut problems. Of course, being like a lot of us women do, you know, just get through it, be strong, don't be the burden, keep going, don't be the one that's causing the trouble. You don't want to be the burden on everyone in your family. And that's a me thing, that's not a them thing, that's a me thing. And I just kept going and I wasn't ignoring it. So when this happened for about a year, I couldn't eat much at all. I was 20 pounds lighter than I was now. My hair was falling out. My nails were ridiculously brittle. I couldn't wear a bra. I couldn't be intimate with my husband. I mean, it was bad. And so you want to talk about the cliche that money doesn't buy happiness. Like it, I literally want to laugh, girl, because it's so comical that the day we were celebrating, the dream coming true is the day my entire health went to total crap. It's it's as cliche as you can possibly get, but that was the moment that my health changed. That was six years ago. I'm still on my journey and I still have to watch what I eat. I've gotten a lot better and that becomes a whole different, you know, like what are the steps I did and how was the mindset? Obviously, happily go down that if you want to, but that's why since then I just took complete ownership over my health and what i put in my body how i eat what i do every day and know the importance of taking care of yourself putting yourself first really caring for your body as like the home right like if if you have a house you clean but we don't take care of our bodies like that so that's why when i talk about my food and you ask me about breakfast is i have a i before i could have a chef like i was just figuring things out but I now have someone that, you know, cooks me my breakfast and I freeze it and I just have it every day because if I have one wrong item that puts me out, I'll be out for three days. Like that's how bad my gut will get. And at the point when it first happened, I put some pepper, literally pepper on my food and it took my gut into such spasms. My husband almost rushed me to the emergency room. So for the first year I was literally eating like four ingredients. It was lamb, beef, salt, and like coconut oil. For over a year, I couldn't have a bite. I, I had a blueberry and it put me into complete gut spasms. And so, yeah, that's the story of my health. Wow. So what are some of the things that you did to heal? Whew. The biggest, biggest thing is I took ownership over the whole thing. Now, let me backtrack on what I mean by that. When I first got sick... And I was like, what is happening to me? So, of course, as soon as it happened, by the way, I, of course, pretended to my husband I was fine. I was like, babe, I just need to run to the restroom. Like my stomach's actually just hurting a tiny bit. And of course, I'm doubled over in pain. I didn't want to be a burden to my husband because it was our, you know, we were celebrating. So, of course, I can suck it up. I can get in the pool. So I literally run to the pool. And even just the slight water pressure on my gut was just extraordinary. So I had to tell him. And that was the moment. And that was when I was just turning to him and I was like, hey, what can we do? How do we, you know, what can I, and he's like, oh, okay, we'll go to the best doctors. We'll figure out what the best doctor is, who it is. And I thought i would be better in a week. I literally was like, oh, maybe it's just like a weird stomach bug or something. And of course, what I was doing, was I was making the rounds. I was like, oh, a, a doctor will fix me. Go to the best doctor, the one with the best, the best expert, they'll know how to fix me. And every time I did it, they wasn't, I wasn't better. And it got to the point where they were suggesting things where I'm like, all I can eat is cooked fatty food. And they're suggesting I stop to the point where they did an allergy test and they said, oh, you're actually allergic to beef. You have to stop eating all your beef, all the fatty foods you're eating and actually start eating raw vegetables. Now in my head, I was like, My gut is already like, just by hearing it was already doing, you know, the woman's intuition, right? You were feeling. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. And I said to myself, but he's the expert, so he must know. So what did I do? I freaking didn't listen to my body. I didn't listen to what I felt was right. I passed on the responsibility to an expert. And what of course happened a week later, I was in gut hell, like gut hell. I couldn't digest the vegetables. And so- that whole journey over time, after about two years, I kept saying like, oh my God, am I ever going to be fixed? A doctor, you know, who am I going to go to? And then one day it became this beautiful realization. And I was sitting there and I was like, but the doctors gave me antibiotics. And everyone kept saying, but it's the doctor's fault. And after two years, I was like, is this mindset actually helping me? Because right now, actually, If I think about what I'm saying, it's the doctor's fault. I'm not taking ownership in it. And if I don't take ownership in it, then how the hell can I expect to fix myself? That's why I'm looking outside myself. That's why I'm looking at the experts to fix me. Because I have a mindset that the doctor's going to help. The doctor was the expert that got me into it. So the doctor's going to be the expert that's going to get me out of it. And then I was like, what if this was all my fault? And I say that with a smile on my face. Because if it's all my fault, let me backtrack. Hang on a minute. Yes, the doctors gave me antibiotics, but I swallowed them. Yes, the doctor gave me the prescription, but as he was giving me the prescription, he was saying, you know, I probably shouldn't give you this many antibiotics. And in my head, never once did I go home and research. Never once when he said it, did I say, can you explain to me why? So how can I take the responsibility because if I can actually rechange the way that I think about it and say, okay, what if it was all my responsibility? Then the amazing thing is I'm taking my power back and now I'm telling myself I have the power to fix me. And now it goes, how do I fix myself? Listen to your body. Stop paying attention to doctors and just take inventory. Sit there and listen. What is your body saying? Take Literally take full ownership over it. And that meant for like three months or something, I sat there every morning and I wrote what I ate for breakfast what time I ate, how much coffee I had, how much water I had, what time I drank, what time I ate my lunch, what time I ate my dinner. How did I sleep? What was my bowel movement like? How did I feel the next day? And I literally just took inventory. And in taking that inventory, in taking the ownership, I started to identify the common denominators. I started to identify that, huh, every time I eat really fatty food, I feel amazing. Every time I have dairy, it actually, I noticed I don't sleep well. It's funny because I think that I'm sleeping 10 hours a day and yet I'm waking up exhausted. Hmm. How do I take ownership over that? All right, Lisa, well, you know that these aura rings exist where people can actually track how much they sleep that allow you to just take monitor of your body. Okay, great. So let me take monitor of my body of how I'm sleeping. But also, what are the other things? Okay, well, I know blood sugar makes a difference. I've been in the health space long enough to know. Okay, well, let me get a hold of a continuous glucose monitor. And now what if I just start taking my data points and saying, okay, Lisa, this is your glucose levels. This is when you feel tired. This is when you can't sleep and just give myself the grace to assess. And once I started to give myself the grace to assess, I started to see that in moments where I was having disturbed sleep, that I didn't realize I was having disturbed sleep. I thought I was sleeping through the night and in my aura ring, it would show that I would have these disturbed moments of sleep. And I started to notice that I would have these glucose crashes around the times that I was having these disturbed moments of sleep. So I was like, okay, great. Now I actually understand. And now I can, not waiting for other people to fix me, but now I can take it upon myself to take that ownership and start to test and see how my body responds. And this is a no judgment zone. This isn't about blame. This isn't about like, woe is me. This literally is a test assess and improve test assess and improve and that is how I ended up over the last four years of my own trying to fix myself I've gotten into the place where I am now where I used to have I mean gut issues eight times a day where I was in crippling pain I had to excuse myself make reads I didn't tell people because of course I was too embarrassed the whole other thing about how we find ourselves embarrassed over our own issues um but yeah, I didn't tell anyone, so I was just trying to figure it out under the radar without telling people. But the ownership piece was was the biggest key of everything. I love that. And taking ownership not just
0: for our health but in all areas of our life is key, you know, in our relationships, in our business, and in our health. Once we take ownership, we can then make the steps To create what we want to create, whether that's the ideal health or the relationships or the business, we are in charge. We are the one in the driver's seat of our life. And I had a very similar story where I put my power outside of myself with my health as well. I thought the doctors were going to fix me. I put all of my power in them. And it wasn't until I took back that power that I really started to heal and not only take back that power, but started to treat my body like the temple that it is then my body started to heal as well. So yeah, as as soon as we take ownership and responsibility for our life, for every area of our life, that's when we can start to create the life of our dreams, have the relationships of our dreams, the business of our dreams, and the health of our dreams. So I love that. Thank you for sharing all of that. And your debut book, Radical Confidence, 10 No BS Lessons on Becoming the Hero of Your Own Life. Such an amazing title. I love it so much. And you've shared a little bit about your story and how that would have affected your confidence. Tell us about your confidence journey and how you got to where you are today. Because looking at you now, you know, what you've created, your business, Women of Impact, Quest Nutrition, like all of these things, people could look at you and go, she's really confident. But can you tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are today and how confidence has evolved for you?
1: Yeah, thank you. Oh my God. This is literally why I wrote the book because people kept saying to me, Lisa, how do I get your confidence? And girl, I literally, I'm just like, who are you talking about? Because it doesn't compute with how I feel about myself or what the negative voice says about me. Like literally every day I have a negative voice in my head that tells me that I'm not good enough, that who do I think I'm, I am? In fact, when I got approached to write a book, so a literary agent reached out to me and reached out to my husband actually and was like, hey, would Lisa consider writing a book? This is a year and a half ago. So we've already sold Quest. Quest was already a billion dollar company, second fastest growing company in North America. Like we've already sold that. We already have built impact theory that has over, you know, 500 million views on our content. And only a year ago, when Tom came to me, he was like, babe, a literary agent just asked if you wanted to write a book. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And he's like, what's wrong? Like, why didn't you just like like you seem to be brushing it off. This isn't like you. And I was like, well, who would buy a book from me? And those were the first words that came out of my mouth. And so when people were like, oh, you should write a book on confidence. I'm like, the first words out of my mouth with who the hell would write, buy a book from me? I was like, so the fact that you're, you think that I should write a book about confidence is insane. And so I started to really explore. I was like, wow, people really do think I'm confident and I need to assess this. I really need to analyze this because here's the thing. The way that I show up every day definitely doesn't hold me back. And so I'm going, okay, what do they see? They see that I just show up every day. What you don't see is all the negativity that I overcome on the daily basis. What people see is that I take steps forward. And so I'm like, oh my God, if I can help people understand how I get over the negative thoughts, how I don't listen to them, how I get past them, how I enter situations like writing a book and I have zero idea of how to write a book. I've never written one before. So why on earth do I think I'm going to have utter confidence in writing a book? But I approach writing a book like I approach every single thing in my life. Radical confidence, which I realise is basically having a tool belt, which means doing something, using tools to get you where you need to go in order to eventually build the confidence. But to be honest, the confidence isn't the end goal. When someone says, I want confidence, the very next thing I say is in what? To do what? What's that end goal? Most of us don't want confidence in and of itself. It's like you want confidence to go on that first date. You want confidence to switch careers. You want confidence to tell your parents you no longer want to study, you know, whatever you're studying, you want to go off and be an artist, right? Most people want confidence to get to something, So what I realized is we need to stop focusing on confidence. We need to focus on how do we get to the goal that is going to give us the life we want. And that is what I ended up calling radical confidence, because it means that you will be scared. It means that you will fail. It means that you will be inadequate many times along the way. But with radical confidence, you have the ability to learn, you have the ability to get back up, and you have the ability to turn to tools. When you're feeling so scared that you think you're going to throw up, what do you do in those moments? That's what radical confidence is. You turn to a tool to get you through it so that you can get to the end goal. Mm, I love that. So that inner mean voice that you talk
0: about, I call that the inner mean girl and that's the voice that's, who do you think you are? You can't write a book. No one's going to buy a book from you, that voice. So tell me, what is your process to overcome that mean
1: voice? Yeah. So the voice in my head, to your point, I call her the bitch in my head, because sometimes she can be really mean, right? And so I tried, girl, I tried to shut her out. So many people just like, Lisa, you got to be nice to yourself. Because I'd be like, come on, what the fuck are you doing, Lisa? Like, like I would be mean to myself. And everyone's like, be nice, be nice. And I kept thinking, like, I'm really, really trying. But in the, f- the fact that I can't shut her up, now I just actually feel worse about myself. Because now you've given that bitch in your head another reason to be mean to you. See, you can't even shut me up, right? And now there's another thing that you're failing at. So I was like, okay, I'm so goal-oriented now. And because for eight years I was supporting my husband and I stayed at home and because I never had a goal and I never was moving towards it, it's what I called, like I was very stuck, purgatory of the mundane for eight years. And so I go, how the hell do I get out of the purgatory of the mundane? And now, and that was be goal oriented, have something, write it down and know your North Star. Because every day I ask myself, do I move towards, do I work towards that North Star? So first thing is, is you have to know where you're going. What is that goal? So let's give an example. The example I can give is, so like I actually did this for a speaking gig. Do you do public speaking? Yes. Okay, how do you feel about public speaking? Excited. Ah, all right. I want your secret source. I just get scared to death. It literally, I mean, public speaking is like one of the biggest fears, like even more than death, which is crazy, let's face that. And so I have a goal and that was to impact. Now, getting on stage, does that serve my impact? Yes or no? But I was so scared that I just kept saying no, until one day my loving husband came to me and was like, babe, I just, you know, I trust him. He has, he's honest with me. I'm honest with him. And he basically was like, babe, you know, not going on stage is holding you back from impacting people. Like, no, you don't have to go on stage, but you need to know that your actions right now are not leading you to your goals. So I sat there and I was like, okay, why am I not going on stage. And I realized it was because the mean voice in my head is keeping. at least you've never been on stage before, but Lisa Tom's so amazing. People are going to compare you to him, but Lisa you're going to freeze. And so I literally sat there and took inventory of what my mind was telling me, what that mean girl was saying. Right. And what I realized was she was there to protect me. She's the ego, right? The ego doesn't want to get bruised. And so the ego is saying, if you go on stage and you freeze, you're going to embarrass yourself and you may never come back from that. So the ego is just trying to protect me. So I just processed it. Okay, she's trying to protect me. And now the thing is, she's trying to protect me. But the the result is I don't get to my goal. So now with zero judgment, ask yourself this question. What's more important, your ego or your goals? With no judgment, because here's the thing. If you choose to live a life where you don't want to get on stage because it brings you anxiety, that's your choice. But I want to do it with my eyes wide open so that I don't end up in one, two or five years ever wondering why I didn't get to my goal. At least I know. At least I know I've made a decision that I don't want to stretch my wings, that it's fearful, that that's uncomfortable, and I just don't want to do it. And now I know that feeling good about myself is actually more important than my goals. But... What I did is I decided it doesn't sit well with me. My ego doesn't get to take front stage above my impact, about above my goals and my mission. So I said, okay, now I've decided I need to get on stage. So it becomes a decision of what is the thing that you need to do, regardless of the voice saying it. So I decided I'm gonna get on stage. Great. Now let me listen to all the things she's saying. Because what I realized was she was trying to keep me back. She was trying to hold me back. But what if? Just like a friend, just like my husband, like I said, he tells me the hard things. He's honest with me. He tells me the things I don't want to hear. Why? Because he actually cares about me. So now what if I position the bitch in my head as my BFF? Now, if she's a friend and she's my bestie, she only wants what's good for me. So great, take inventory. Sit there right now and write down all the things your BFF is telling you. And she was telling me, Lisa, you're no good. You don't know what the hell you're going to say on stage. And so I was like, great. Oh my God, thank you, friend. You're right. I have zero idea of what I'm going to say on stage. So now what you're telling me is I need to prepare. Fantastic. Now I'm going to go prepare. So for the two months leading up to it, actually, let me back up. The first step was, how do I actually say yes to a speaking gig? Because when you're so scared, even just saying yes is heart-inducing, like want to faint, throw up in my bag type thing. So it's like, cool, this is the first fear. I have to tackle this. So how am I going to overcome it? If I allow my emotions to get in the way, I will always say no. How do I counteract that? Tell my team that the next person that reaches out, I say yes to. And so I just literally caveated. That's the decision I have to make in order to just say yes. Okay, great. Now I've got a strategy to overcome the fear. And now I've said yes. Now the problem was TEDx were the first people that freaking reached out to me. You can imagine how that felt, but I'd made a promise to myself, right? Cause I'd processed it. I'd made a promise. I know my why now I've come up with a strategy to overcome the fear. And so I've said, yes, great. Now that I've said yes, now the heart attack really is, is like coming on hard. So that's where I started to take inventory and I started to realize, oh, it's the preparation. I was worried about not knowing what to say on stage. Great. Now I've got a counteract plan. I'm going to prepare. What does that preparation look like? Lisa? That preparation looks like You're gonna record it, you're gonna write it out, you're gonna record it, you're gonna practice it, then you're gonna listen to the recording, then you're gonna do that five times. Once you've done that five times, then you're gonna do it in front of your husband. You need to do it by this state. Everything becomes binary. Did you do it five times? Yes or no? Did you do it by this state? Yes or no? Because again, I can get my emotions, they can get in the way, the negative voice can keep getting in the way. So we just come up with a game plan. Binary. Yes or no, did I do it? So yes, I did that. Great. Did you read it in front of your team? Yes, I did it. I read it in front of the team. Great. Did you practice, practice, practice? Yes. Okay, great. Now, what else am I worried about? Getting on stage. Like, I don't know about you, but it doesn't matter how much preparation. To actually walk on stage is so scary. And the thought, the vision of me walking on stage was scary. So now I go, what am I worried about? Great. Walking on stage because I've listened to the the bitch and the BFF in my head, the negative voice. She's guiding me. How do I counteract that? What are the strategies I'm going to put in place to get on stage? And see how I break it down bit by bit. So for me, it was music. Music is very powerful. It changes my emotions. Then it was my hair, the way that I show up every day, the clothes that I wear, putting on what I call my bad bitch boots. Now I've got these boots that are knee high and I've deliberately, deliberately called them bad bitch boots. That was a very conscious effort. Why? Because I need to lean into every type of subliminal messaging I can possibly get. And so when I'm getting dressed for that speaking gig, I've done a month of calling my boots, my bad bitch boots. So when I finally put them on to dress, to go on stage, I've now cultivated a feeling that I want to have before I go on stage. And now the final thing with the voice was what if you do all this Lisa and great. Okay. You've got, you've got this plan together, but what if you freeze? Okay. What if I freeze? So then have a game plan of what you do when you freeze. And I just thought about that kid, uh, the kid, you know, that falls on the floor and cries or like falls and then looks at the parents and is waiting to like, how are they going to respond? Or in fact, even worse, have you seen someone on stage freeze? No, I don't think I have. Haven't you? No. I've seen someone. Oh, actually, really- no,
0: no, I have. I have. Yes, I have. How did you feel when they froze? I just wanted to run up to them and hug them and say,
1: you're doing an amazing job. Keep going. Keep going. But you feel bad for them, right? And so that's the thing. I was like, I'm here to empower people and I freeze and now everyone feels bad for me. I've lost my audience. Like literally, I've shifted the energy. And so I was like, I can't freeze, Lisa, because then I really do feel like I've lost them. So what do I do when I freeze? come up with a game plan. Okay. When kids fall on the floor, they look at the parents and they wait to see how they're going to respond. All right. So the audience is going to wait to see how I respond. And so I need to do something that is going to keep the, the event like it lighthearted. So I was like, all right, no matter what happens, if you fail, laugh. That was it. I didn't have like any other game plan except laugh. And so I was like, okay, cool. I can do that. And so I go on stage, within three minutes, I mess up. And I say the story about how my dad gave birth to my grandmother. And so here I am making this big error. And I was like, well, that would be weird. And I just started laughing and everyone started laughing too. And I just carried on. And so now here I am a few years later, being able to talk about this thing that caused the biggest fear of my life. And I was able to do it. And I was able to do it and I was proud of myself. It wasn't great, but what ended up happening with everything I just laid out, when you walk off that stage, you literally give the bitch in your head the middle finger because she was telling you all the ways that you couldn't do it, all the things that you were worried about. And yet... You listened to her, you put in a plan, you didn't worry about getting confident, you put on your radical confidence hat, you came up with a strategy, and you did it. And now at the end of it, it doesn't matter how good or bad it went, maybe it tanked. And that's very possible. My my speech wasn't great. But you know what, that was one credibility I earned with myself. And then after that, every time that fear came in, I said, but Lisa, you can do it. You've done it before. You can do it again. And then I got on stage again and I got on stage again. I've only done it like three or four times, but now I've gotten competent. And so now when I go, if I got another offer to walk on stage again, I've got more confidence because I've done it over and over and I've practiced Yes, and you took inspired action. You didn't just sit
0: back and expect it to all unfold the way that you wanted it to. You took inspired action and within that inspired action is where you learn and grow. That's that's the gold. The journey is the gold. And you grew so much in that whole process leading up to it and then giving the speech, what you learned giving the speech and then afterwards, so There's so much growth in pushing past listening to our inner mean girl. There is so much growth. So thank you for sharing that story. I'd love to hear about your decision to not have children. You shared before that you stayed home for eight years whilst Tom built Impact Theory. Tell me about your decision to stay home and your decision to not have children and how that affected your business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it was an impact theory. So what happened was when we first got married, we had big dreams of making movies. And so our goal was uh, we both had really bad experiences on film sets. So we're like, okay, we'll never just let people be cruel, step on us. Like we're not down for like, if that's the Hollywood game, we're not interested. So we came up with a plan. Why don't we just make enough money so we can finance our own films? Great. That should be easy enough. What kind of films did you
0: want to make? And was this your background? Did you both come from a film background? Can you tell
1: us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So I studied filmmaking in England and I had a film degree. And in my last year, I was like, you know what? I've learned everything except how to actually direct. And that was the thing that I wanted to do. And my goal, like from as far back as I can remember, was to be this young, uh, to to be in Hollywood and be the first female to win an Academy Award as a director. And I would wake up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. And I'd watch the Oscars in my little London home. And like, I had big dreams of being in Hollywood. And so I studied filmmaking didn't have the experience I needed. And my friend gives me this brochure. She's like, you know, it's this eight-week course. It's in America. It's in Los Angeles. And I was obsessed with Los Angeles. And she's like, it's just eight weeks and you get to actually have hands-on directing. And you get to like have actors in your movies. And I was like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. So I convinced my dad to fund it. (laughs) And I went, came to America, came to Los Angeles. And I walked into the film school. It's a film school for adults. It's called the New York Film Academy. And I walked into it. And on the first day, my husband is standing there working at the school. And there's only four years difference between us. But I was like, oh, he's kind of cute. And so I had my school. He's my teacher, it turns out. Even saucier, yes. And then we just like went on a date, but it was one of these like, you know, we just both thought we were going to have some fun. It wasn't going to be a long-term thing. This was after about like six weeks of me being in class and we'd just finished my classes. So, you know, he wasn't technically my teacher anymore. But so we went on our first date. And neither of us thought anything of it. And it was one of those, I think, because I thought it was just going to be a summer fling. And he just thought, well, she has to legally leave the country in a way, which is great because he just had an experience with another woman who got a little like obsessive with him. So he was just like, oh, it's great. She has to leave the country. There's no commitment. There's no full-time relationship. I was thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. This is going to be so fun. I get to have, you know, this really fun experience with this guy who is very attractive. He's very sweet. He loves movies. And neither of us put on any pretenses. And I think it was because of that, in hindsight, that we literally, after that first date, it became a, what are you doing tomorrow? Let's hang out. What are you doing tomorrow? Let's hang out. And now 22 years later. (laughs) 22 years. Yeah. About to celebrate our 20 year wedding anniversary. So you got married after one year. So yeah, we did my the whole like my big fat Greek wedding where he got christened. He came to England. We had the like 200 guests where 190 of them were my family and 10 of them were his. It was literally the movie and it came out the same summer. The movie released, which is just even more like timing is weird. What was your dress like? Big poofy and white. Yes.
0: Yes. I need to see photos of this. Oh my God.
1: Oh yeah. It, it was the tr- very traditional. I mean, we did the whole Greek church. My husband had to stand in a paddling pool so he could get christened. It was like a whole thing. I love that movie so much. And I totally wish I was at your wedding.
0: That just sounds like so much fun. Okay. So tell me, then what happened?
1: So yeah, so we get married and our dreams were movies. So we'll move to America. We'll make movies and this will be the dream. What kind of movies? So here's the, this is exactly, I love that you asked this question because this is part of my journey of digging deep and refining a goal because we stopped at We want to make movies and so we need money. And so what we did is we, I mean, in our heads, it was feature films, but we never asked ourselves like, Well, it can be short form. It actually can be animation. It can be, you know, all these different options that we didn't consider. And that's actually part of my journey of like, when you set goals, what are the things you're not considering? What are the things that you, you just automatically go to, because that's what you know, and you're not thinking outside the box. So in that thinking was, okay, we need to make a lot of money and we, because we want to make films. And so we sat down and we said, okay, what would it actually look like? Like, And this is a game that we play that I write in the book, no bullshit, what would it take? And that's a game that we like to play. So it's no bullshit, what would it take for my husband to make money, for, for us to make money to make movies? And so he happened to have got this opportunity and he was like, all right, let's sit down and play it. So we said, okay, babe, how do we live our lives? We just read an article with Steve Jobs where he Said that he always wore black because you can only make a certain amount of decisions in your, in one day. And so instead of making, you know, and I actually said it earlier with my breakfast, right? It's like, I don't want to use up any brain power in order to have to decide on things that actually don't move the needle towards your dream or your goal. So I said, okay, babe, well, you've got this business opportunity to work with these guys. Why don't you go do it? And I'll take care of everything else. I'll make all other decisions. And if we do that for a year, a year and a half, we should be able to make enough money to make movies. So that was our no BS, what would it actually take for him to make enough money? So I was like, cool, I'll take care of everything else. I'll make all the decisions. Oh, literally, you wake up, you're next to your bed. You go come back from the gym, your lunch is ready. You come home from work, your dinner's ready. He didn't have to make one decision. And we said, this would just be for a year, a year and a half. Now, how many of us sacrifice? And we, do, we're like, well, we don't mind sacrificing for the greater good. But when you start and it becomes a habit, and now each day you use reasons why, it makes sense that you're there. And what I was doing is over that year, year and a half, I was using that North Star as my propeller forward. Now, of course, no surprise, after a year and a half, there's no way we made enough money to you know, make movies. So him at the time with these two guys started to build a side bi- a business, a technology business. They're like, oh, it'll just take another year. It's like, cool, I can do another year. And then, of course, that year comes and the tech company's doing well. They're like, we just need another year. And so that just need another year turned into eight years. And when I look back, girl, and I go, how on earth did that happen? It was, I kept telling myself, you'll be happy when. You'll make movies when. You'll start a family when. How many of your audience right now can relate to that? we put our lives on pause. We sacrifice for everyone else. We don't look at our own lives. We don't ask ourselves, am I happy? Am I living the life I've always wanted? We just keep sacrificing. And that's exactly what happened. And in those moments, I kept thinking, well, I don't have the confidence to speak up and say how unhappy I am. And the other part was, I felt like, how, in fact, can we talk about gratitude for a second? So I kept saying to myself, you know, How ungrateful am I if I complain when I have a husband that loves me? And so I kept using gratitude as a way to self soothe in the moments where I was feeling sad, lonely, or I was asking myself the question, is this really my life? And every time I kept asking, or that even not even asking, it kept creeping in. You know, when you hear like almost like your mind is whispering to you, it was that, it was the mind was whispering to me, and I kept deterring the question because I was using gratitude. And here's the thing. I use gratitude as an amazing tool, as a way to say, hey, Lisa, don't worry. It's only going to be a year and a half. Like, look at all the amazing things that are in your life. And that's great. I don't like having a victim mentality. I don't like having a negative mentality of all the things that are going wrong. And gratitude is amazing.
0: And you were using it to spiritually bypass at the same time. Oh,
1: spiritually bypassed. I love that. A hundred percent. And that was where it was like, I was using it as a very effective tool. I was using it as a way of saying, yes, Lisa, like you've got great things in your life. And at the same time, I held onto it so long that that I think is a big part of what kept me there for eight years because I kept dismissing my unhappiness I kept dismissing the fad that I wasn't living my dream because I kept saying, how ungrateful are you when you can have a roof over your head? And you know how many people don't have roofs over their heads or have to worry about how they're going to pay the next rent? And Lisa, you're going to say that you're unhappy. And that's what kept me there over and over for those eight years.
0: Then how
1: did you get the
0: confidence to take the step out of that and- Where was the
1: conversation about children in that as well? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So it really wasn't confidence. It was, I finally realized after around eight years, and I joke, but it's actually true. It got to the point where like my home was my own personal fight club. The first rule of my house was don't ask Tom about his day. And then the second rule about my house was don't ask Tom about his day because he got to the point where we all know, surprise, surprise, chasing money isn't fulfilling. And it got to the point where he was so miserable, he was coming home and saying, don't ask about my day. And now it got to the point where I was like, if he's not even happy, I was sacrificing everything. Well, as long as he's happy, I can keep going. And it got to the point where it's like, you're freaking miserable and I'm miserable and we don't have money and we haven't made movies. Like, what's the point? Yeah. What is the point? And at this point we had actually, he'd built the tech company where we had a couple of million dollars in shares, like in, you know, ownership of the company. And it was like, oh my God, who cares? Like literally who cares if I can't even have a conversation with my husband. And that was where it's interesting. It only took the fact that I saw my husband was unhappy or was unhappy for me to speak up. And it was in that moment that I was like, enough's enough. I was like, quit your job. I don't give a shit about money anymore. Let's move. Let's do whatever. But I just need us to be happy. Like, I know that that is so like, but what does happiness look like? And that's a whole other story. And in the time it didn't have that type of mindset. I was just like, we're miserable. We're doing this. It isn't working. We need to pivot. And in that pivoting, That was led to my husband going in and quitting his job with his business partners. That led them to saying, oh my God, we're unhappy too. That led to them saying, okay, let's start a protein bar company. And at this point though, I had so identified as the supportive wife that even I was telling my husband to quit, I wasn't changing then what I was doing. I was just like, but then you'll be happy if we change, if we change our lifestyle. So I had already adopted the mentality. I'd already adopted the identity of being now the supportive wife. So the dream, the hope, like I said, I was the kid that was waking up in the middle of the night watching uh, the Oscars. I like At that point, that wasn't my goal anymore. And so now they said they were going to start a protein bar company. And so I was like, babe, how can I help? As the, the supportive wife, how can I help? Now they were still running the tech company. So they were like, well, you don't work. So if you don't mind, just measuring some ingredients and you know, ship a couple of bars here and there. And so what we would do is we would rent the kitchen, uh, rent a professional kitchen, and all of us in the evenings would go and we would hand make protein bars. And we had these rolling pins and knives and we literally were cutting the bars by hand and wrapping each one by like this little pedal sealer. And that's where we started. And I had the identity of I'm the great supportive wife and I will hold down the fort when everyone else is at work. And so I was shipping a couple of bars here and there. It wasn't a big deal. Now, what we didn't expect is the company would grow at 57,000%. And so at growing at 57,000%, you go from shipping your bars from the living room floor one day to literally like, oh my God, we've got 20 orders today. So now it's like, oh my God, I need to ship out of my our business partner's garage. It's like, wow, I can't believe we've grown so much. We've got a garage. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, you've got a facility. And before you know it, you're growing. And like, literally, I blinked. It felt like I blinked, I should say. And the first year I'm shipping bars off my living room floor. Two years later, I've got a 10,000 square foot facility. I've got 40 employees working underneath me and we're shipping out $80 million of product. Now, back to your question. I was thrust into a situation where I was challenged and I had lived eight years of my life where it was just mundane. And I was just living. I was just, going through the motions of the day. And here I was struggling every day, trying to figure out new things. And every day, every time I faced something that I didn't know how to do, our house was up as collateral. So every time, my husband was, a, you know, they were still at the tech company. So every time I was facing new challenges, in those moments, I basically said, Lisa, you can either figure it out or you lose your house. And in giving myself those options, I kept figuring it out. And every time I was like, there's no way this is possible. And then I figured it out. It started to change how I saw myself. It started to make me realize what I was capable of. It started to make me realize I was sacrificing and just saying fine every day when I realized that being challenged is what lit me up. And so every day when you say you can't do something and then a week later you've proven you actually can do something. I started to feel like that was, I don't want to say purpose, but I started to realize what I was capable of. And in that, I started to realize this is what I want to keep doing. And now it became the pivotal point. Of course, all us women, most of us women try and do everything. And so, of course, for those first time, I was trying to do everything. I was trying to be the amazing supportive wife. I was trying to put clothes out for him every day. And I was trying to crush it in business. And of course, you know, when you try and do everything perfectly, you end up doing nothing right. And so it got to a point where I had to sit with my husband and I realized I was the person that had been staying at home for eight years, taking care of him, told him I wanted four children. And now here I was saying, babe, I don't want to take care of you and I don't want any kids. Now it didn't all come at once, but I'm just kind of like, but that's the the overall message. How the hell do you do that? How do you even accept the whisper in your head that is saying to you, you don't want to be a stay at home wife anymore. You don't want four children. That's how it started. It became a little whisper until it started to get to the point where I was like, this is actually really something that has really taken over me. And how on earth do I discuss this with my husband? And that became like, it's not that I had the confidence to say that to him. It became the fact that I'd spent eight years living someone else's life, doing things for everyone else, and realizing exactly where it got me, unhappy. And so it's my duty as his wife to speak up if I'm unhappy. It's not his duty to make me happy. It's no one else's duty except my own. And so if I can't speak up, then how the hell can I bring happiness to my relationship? And so that's how I processed. It is my duty to speak to him. And now how do I do it? So I sat him down and I said, what would I want someone to say to me in those moments? I would want that person to acknowledge they're changing, right? You know how, like my instinct is to go in there and go, well, this is who I am now and you got to accept it. Now, the reason why my instinct is to do that is because I feel insecure about it. And so I realized then I was like, okay, A, that doesn't work. If someone did that to me, I would feel disrespected. I would feel like, hang on a minute, babe, don't you want me to be a part of this journey? Don't you want me, like, you're not barking orders at me. So it's like, okay, great. I'm going to meet meet him with grace and respect. So it is my duty to tell him how unhappy I've been because I've never told him. Do you think he knew? No. He knew that I didn't, I wasn't in love with my life. But reading back, I mean, he sobbed when he read my book. <sighs> yeah. Because he was like, babe, I had no idea. And this is the thing it's not on him. That was a me choice. I kept biting my tongue. I kept saying, Lisa, you need to do this. You should do this. Don't be a burden. That's all me. That's not him. And so it was my duty to really say that. And so I sat him down and I said, I've been miserable. These eight, you know, like, this isn't the life I want. I've lost myself. I've lost my dreams. And I've I didn't realize I did that until, babe, I was thrust into quest and thank God I have because now I've realized who I am and it lights me up. I've never felt happier. So key number one, express where you're coming from. Key number two, express why you're making the change. And now assess your relationship because to me, a relationship is, are you playing in fact, a relationship is is tennis. And now you have to decide, are you playing tennis as singles or are you playing tennis as doubles? Because singles is you're hitting the ball and you kind of want to win the match, right? And so you're hitting it to them and they're bouncing it back, but you still want to win. Now, if it's a game of doubles, you have that aligned goal. You both want your relationship to work. You both want both of you to be happy. And now Where I'm weak, your partner is strong. If you miss the ball, your partner's got your back and vice versa. And so I went into that discussion saying, we're teammates, babe, and I haven't told you how unhappy I am. And right now, I'm actually really struggling with the transition of going from housewife to business, and I really need your help. So asking for help, letting them know why, saying that it lights you up, and then with kids with that discussion is giving them the grace to have a feeling about it and giving them the space to talk to you about it. And so with the, in fact, let me back up. So as the stay at home wife, I said, babe, this is going to cause some transitional difficulties for us because we've been living the same life the same way for eight years. So I'm going to show you the respect. How can I help with this transition? And so I was taking care of him seven days a week. And I said, babe, I need you to hear me putting clothes out for you and cooking for you. I don't want to do that anymore. Now I need you to also hear this has zero reflection of how much I love you. And if right now you equate me putting clothes out for you for my love, how can we adjust that? Because it doesn't compete with me. I love you so much. I love you more than life itself. I show you, hopefully show you that on a daily basis but I don't want to put clothes out for you. And I don't want to cook for you anymore. And so now in saying that, what can I do to help this transition? And so I was like, what if I wean you off that? And I like joke, but no joke. And I was like, but what if next week I put clothes out for you and cooked for you six days a week? And what if the week after I did five days a week? How do you feel about that, babe? Does that feel like something that we can actually transition together on? And now I'm showing him the care, the respect, the fact that I know that this is a team effort and let him know what I'm okay with now and what I'm not okay with. And he turned around to me. He's like, babe, what kind of husband would I be where I want to put my comfort ahead of your happiness? And so we had the talk. I was like, cool, babe. Now, what are the next steps? I think we have to mourn the relationship maybe we thought we were going to have I had to mourn, once I decided I didn't want children, I had to mourn the idea of being a mother. Because even to this day, I still love the idea of having children. I just love the idea of being in business more. I was just going to say,
0: how did he respond when you said, I don't want to have children?
1: So we had had a discussion. It was like, babe, how do you feel about it? And How do I feel about it? And over time, like I never told him like, yeah, I'm not sure. Like I told him I wanted four kids. And so again, I approached it in the same way that I approached not wanting to take care of him. But look, the big thing was, is we sat down and I said to him, what type of father do you want to be? And my husband is extremely ambitious, extremely. And so he said, look, You know, we had this discussion actually very early on in our relationship. He said, babe, I'm not going to be the guy that's coming home at seven o'clock, dinner on the table, and I'm helping put the kids to bed. He's like, I'm so ambitious. He's like, my ambition is what makes me feel alive. And I can't be a good dad or a good husband if I give up the thing that makes me me. And I was like, I respect that. I can only respect the honesty. And so the beautiful thing is, is that he set me up for success by telling me what type of parent he would be. Now, look, there's the other note to it where he said, but on the weekends, I want to be amazing dad. So he was like, I will. Every free time I have, I'd want to be with the kids because I'd want to teach them. I'd want to play ball with them. I want to read to them. And so in that discussion, I then said to him, great. So where does that leave us as husband and wife? And so we just, no judgment. We just looked at the hours in the day. And it was like, oh, so I go down your list. So I'm now third. And so this literally, so it's like, okay, no judgment. Like I don't take that as he doesn't love me. Just like I said, I didn't want to put clothes out for him. So we can't equate acts like that to how much someone cares about me. But I was like, oh, am I willing to move down his priority list? And is he willing to move down mine? And so we had that discussion. And so everything that I'm saying became like these discussions of, well, what type of thing do you want to do? How are you going to show up in this space? And then the last note was I explained to him my process, which I call, what does an average Wednesday look like? Because the truth is, even now, like I said, I could get caught up in all the beauty that a child can bring to my life. I want a little Tom running around like you have no idea. Like a little American kid calling me mommy. Oh my God, I would melt. Having a daughter that I could help teach what a positive mindset looks like. Like that is, a, I literally could have a kid right now if I just focused on that. And so I go, but that doesn't equate to how I want to live my life. So how do I want to live my life? That's what I call, what does an average Wednesday look like? So I then look at all my options. I look at option number one. I call it like door, game show, like door number one. What's behind door number one? Okay, door number one is you give up your career and your stay at home parent. Okay, that's a very valuable, realistic option. What would that life look like on a Wednesday? Well, my husband's already said that he's not going to come home. So basically I'm a single parent, but that's okay if I really want the kid. And now door behind number two. What does it look like on an average Wednesday if I do both? If I'm my parent and I'm an entrepreneur, and a career person. I know many people that have done it you've just said that you've got a little baby yourself, which is amazing. I know many people that have done it, but do I want it? Does Lisa bill you? Forget about the outside, forget about the expectations, forget about what everyone else is telling you should do. Does an average Wednesday, what does that look like for me if I'm doing both? And do I want that lifestyle? And then behind door number three, I don't have children and I have a career. Now, stepping back with all my buckets, with all my options, with having done the assessment of how my husband's going to show up in that marriage or that, that parenting, what door excites me? And the answer I got was door number three, having a career. So I broke this down to him. I literally laid this all out for him. And this, this is the reasons why I don't want kids. And so we just spoke through it. And again, for him, it, he never, um, and in fact, what we actually did. I missed one more part of it. Is why did we think we wanted kids in the first place? Because everything in my head, I was repeating what my parents had told me. I was repeating what other people had told me. So the first words that came out of my mouth was legacy. And I was like, but what does legacy even mean? And so I literally assessed, well, hang on a minute, I have this belief system that's telling me I should have kids because of my legacy. But I've never even asked what that means to me. And so once I started to dissect, what does legacy mean? Legacy means Living on once you're dead, like the value you've brought to the world lives on once you're gone. And I was like, okay, I actually get that. And yes, you get that in children. But what if I create global impact? What if I create content, My backgrounds, filmmaking? So what if I create stories, like the stories I grew up on, like Karate Kid, Wax on, Wax off, is the most amazing notion of getting prepared. Adventures in babysitting, thinking like the impossible exists. So thinking that things are impossible and then showing that it's possible. It's silly movies, but as a kid, they really empowered me. And so now if I want to use my film background and create global impact, could that be a legacy? Yes, that can. And I mean, I can keep going on, but you see, I literally just broke down every little thing. And then in the discussion of my husband, because it's not just a final result, it's not me going to him saying, I don't want children anymore. It has been an in-depth discussion along the way of the unhappiness that lead, that led me to how I felt, to how now I feel about work, what that brings to my life. And when you're with a partner who truly wants happiness for you, then I think that you can talk through anything. And here's the truth he may turn around and he may have said, you know what? This is a deal breaker for me. You said you wanted four children. I married someone that I thought wanted four children and it's a deal breaker. And that's very possible. That was a very possible situation. And then what would we have done? We would have spoken through it. And the truth is maybe we would have got divorced. And we don't even use that word. So, you know, literally in the Bilbo household, the D word, we actually call it the D word, it's like Voldemort from like Harry Potter, where it's like, it's not allowed in the house. We call it D-land. I'm like, oh, you're
0: heading to D-land. You're heading there. And he just laughs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, and I don't want to pretend that that isn't a possibility, that that might be to some people a non-negotiable. But the truth is, don't you want to have that discussion? Like, isn't it important? then for someone to just agree and then a year, two years, four years, 10 years resentment builds and i got married for life i got married to be happily married for life and so i look at all these little things and to be honest if he had said yeah i want kids and that's a deal breaker i think we may have had to break up because the truth is we wouldn't have made each other happy and one of us would have had to sacrifice and you know i already did that for eight years
0: mm, my goodness Thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly. And this is not a conversation that we've had on the podcast about this decision to have children or not have children. It's, it's really big. And I'm just so grateful for your honesty. It's really beautiful. And I think as women, if we make that decision to not have children, it can feel taboo. Or you can feel like you're judged from other women. And let's just put it all out on the table. And your decision to have children or not have children is your decision. Like it's no one else's decision. It's not your mother's, it's not your mother in law, it's not your grandmother's, it's not your friends. It's your decision. And And your partners, you know, you two can have that decision together. You can have that conversation together. And I just want to acknowledge you for sharing that. And I know that there might be some people listening who have also made that decision and you have, you know, given them some comfort. So I want to acknowledge you and thank you for that.
1: Oh God. And thank you for acknowledging the outside world because that's a massive part of it. Like that I'm glad you said that because even just the story that I told, that's only half of it. The real struggle really was telling my mom because my mom literally told me since I was a kid, her goal in life, her dream in life is to be a grandmother, to be a being Greek. Do you have have siblings? Can they fulfill that for her? The funny thing is I do have siblings, but neither of those are married. But the funny thing is that becomes part of it is how do you break your mom's heart? Hmm. And I'm not being hyperbolic. Like, I actually broke her heart. She cried. So it's like, how do you approach those discussions with grace? And not being like, well, mom, what's the problem? You need to accept it. No. You're about to break someone you care about. You're about to break their heart. Do it delicately. Do it with grace. Do it with respect. But here's the key. You're not asking for permission with your parents. You're not asking for permission when it comes to outside world. And so dealing with it with grace, giving them space to tell you their feelings doesn't mean there's space for you to be persuaded. And that was really hard. And to your point, I got people that actually said to me, oh, so you're not nurturing. I got someone, I got an entire comment in one of my YouTube episodes where I spoke about this. And someone actually wrote, I feel sorry for your husband that you're being so selfish. I only hope he really is okay with it. And You're being selfish to the world because you've decided not to have children. I was like, self, I don't understand. Isn't selfish being having kids and then not spending time with them? Like, isn't that selfish? But here's the thing. I say that now, like kind of half laughing. It really stung. It really upset me. And part of me, before I had any confidence, really, I was like, is it selfish? You know, and it's like, you start to wonder, And so it's really important that you said that on that the people's responses may not always be pleasant. And that's such a big key and that to remind yourself that why you're doing it and that it's your life. And then what's interesting is this happened maybe, I don't know, seven, eight years ago now where I decided not to have children. And what's fascinating, girl, is I've noticed the message now is almost the opposite, where women are feeling bad. If they say I'm a stay at home mother, Mm. like I met this one woman in line. This was actually before COVID, but you don't really get chatting when you're on vacation, right? And it's like, I'm in, you know, getting breakfast and you just start chit chatting. And so I'm talking to this woman behind me and she turns around. She's like, oh, what do you do? So I just start telling her my story about like quest and impact theory and women of impact. I was like, oh, what do you do? She goes, oh, I'm just a mother. And I was like, what? She just said, just. And then she starts telling me like she had like three children that she was homeschooling, homeschooling this woman was. And so part of me is like in my head, like I can't believe she just dismissed the fact that she is taking care of three children and like homeschooling by using the word just. And so as she started talking, I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, I just have to interrupt you. I was like, I think that's amazing. I think that you're bringing up the future. Like we all have to do a part in the world. And I was like, you know, I don't mean to say be like, I don't mean to call you on it, but you just used the word just. And I just think like, I think that that's so beautiful and you shouldn't diminish the value that you're bringing. And she was like, she like seems a little shocked at first. And then afterwards, by the end, she was gushing and you could see her demeanor. Like literally when she first started, she was like, I'm just a mother. And then the fact that I was like, don't freaking dismiss that. By the end of the conversation, she was glowing and you could see it lit her up and that she was allowing external messaging on all the things that we women talk about, that I talk about. Go out and be your own person. If you want to build a business, you got this girl, right? And now I'm worried that this messaging is having the opposite effect. And now women who are deciding to do this beautiful thing by giving birth and not building businesses and really you know, building the next generation. Now they're feeling badly about themselves. To your point, we got to just stop. We got to stop the freaking judgment and just say, what is the life you want? And are you living it? Oh my God, amazing. I'm so proud and that's so inspiring. That should be the response. And
0: what other people think,
1: whether you choose
0: to be a stay-at-home mum or build an empire or do both it's actually none of anyone's business as long as it feels true and right for you and you feel on purpose that is all that matters because i know people like you that are boss babes then i have friends that are stay-at-home mums and then there's people like me who are doing both and crushing it. All three areas, you know, all three people are crushing it. The ones that are being the boss babes, the ones that are staying home and looking after their kids and the ones that are doing both, they're crushing it. And the thing is, is it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. If it's true for you, then do that. If you want to just go for it with your career, go for it. If you want to be a mama, go for it. If you want to do both, go for it. I have he- heard that so many times as well. I'm just a stay at home mum, And since having a daughter, I'm like, no, no, no. There is no just in that. It is a huge job, huge responsibility. Amazing. It is big and it is beautiful. Same with building a business. It is big and it is beautiful. And we've got to stop looking left and right and seeing what everyone else is doing and putting ourselves down in the process. Stay true to you. Stay true to you and on your own path and own where you are at. And it might change as well. Yes! And give yourself permission for it to change tomorrow if you want to. You might wake up tomorrow and go, I've had three kids I am ready to build an empire. Or you might go, I've built an empire. I'm ready to have three kids. You know, so you're allowed to change your mind and you can change your mind in 10 minutes if you like.
1: Oh my God, girl, you're so freaking right. Like literally. So I've, I just had a phone call last week with a woman I am obsessed with. I don't want to say her name because she told me some personal things, but like, she's uh, i so admire her you, you cannot imagine one of those like you geek out when you meet them and you're just like i'm gonna fan girl out for a second but let me just fan girl out so the one of the, the the top careers that i'm like if i had to replace careers it would be with her and recently she chose to step away literally she spent the last 30 years of her life walk, getting up the ladder got to the position that is the dream job and position that you couldn't imagine. Oh my God, only like 0.01% get to this position. And she's there. And she was like, yeah, I'm, I've burnt out. I just want to spend time with my family. And she told me about the speaking up that originally everyone was like, what, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And then when she finally did it, All the other people behind the scenes were secretly like pinging her, being like, I'm so happy for you. Can you tell me like, because I'm actually considering because I'm really burning out. And it was amazing, amazing story to hear that you can absolutely flip. Like you said, you can spend 30 years of your life working towards something and then embracing that right now, this actually doesn't feel right. And that right now it actually doesn't align with who I want to be anymore. And no judgment. Yes no judgment.
0: Oh, this is so good. I I love this conversation. You spoke about before your typical Wednesday. Can you talk us through a quote unquote typical day in your life from what time you wake up, walk us through all of your routines, your rituals, everything you do, when you eat, when you exercise, meditate, talk us through a quote unquote typical day in your life. And I know no two days are ever the same, but come on a typical day.
1: All right. I definitely have my habits. I am so obsessed with how do I optimize my day? Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my energy? And I'm going to keep repeating it, but it was so important to me that I repeat it for a reason. I spent eight years not doing this. I spent eight years not thinking about my time as anything precious. So you better freaking believe I do now. So I really do optimize my day and it's become an evolution. And so I've realized waking up in the morning where I don't switch my phone on, and it's me against my weights. So I spoke earlier about having a very unhealthy relationship with food. And so I was that person that when I was a stay-at-home wife, I would use my weight and my workouts as a way to distract myself. And so, you know, I was that person that was literally running on the treadmill for like 45 minutes, counting how many calories I burn, running on the treadmill for another hour, how many calories did I burn. Realized that obviously ended up very bad for my health. Then I started to pick up weights. And I was like, I love the feeling of weights, Like, oh my God, today I can actually curl seven pounds and yesterday I could only curl five. Like if I put time, energy and focus, it's not about anyone else. Like literally no one else has to do with this achievement. I either show up today or I don't show up. I either lift this weight or I don't lift this weight. I either try or I don't. And I found so much beauty in weightlifting that it started to become my morning stress relief So I realized, and when I say stress relief, I mean, a lot of people meditate and go, I tried, I tried to meditate. I really did. I had like a meditation cushion and I was that person that was like, all right, Lisa, you're going to do this. And I kept trying and I kept trying. And it was one of these things. I don't know what benefit people get. I just didn't feel it. And so I kept beating myself up over the fact that I couldn't meditate until I started to ask myself, but hang on a minute. People say clarity and mind. All right, Lisa, what actually brings you clarity in mind? I was like, you know what? The gym really does. Okay, well, people optimize clarity of mind in the morning. Cool, let me try working out in the morning. Let me try lifting weights in the morning. Ah, this feels great. So that's how I got to, I wake up, I go straight to my gym, I lift heavy weights. It's me against me. I listen to music. Music is so powerful, so powerful that I have my playlist, that I concentrate, I have my big headphones and I listen to those and I work out for about 45 minutes to an hour. And so that, I've now moved my body. I've now de-stressed anything that maybe there's like a, and when I say de-stress, I actually get total clarity. So anything that was bothering me, let's say the night before, I almost am not able to fix it or solve it that night. But in the morning, when I start moving my body, I literally will be curling like 20 pounds and I'll be in the middle of curling. I'm like, I've got the solution, you know, and I'll drop the weight and I'll run to my phone and I'll quickly make a note. But that's where I work out in the morning. I immediately then prepare my food I have my food ready it's all frozen so I know what I'm gonna eat I know that I'm getting my calories in because I need to make sure that I'm obviously giving myself the energy a car cannot run on empty so I never I literally never weigh myself I never weigh my food anymore like it is a I I know what I eat I know what I like and then I give myself the grace that if I'm still hungry I eat more but I then eat. I usually fast around the 16 hour. So I intermittent fast. So my meal before the night before is usually around 5 p.m. ish. And then I normally eat my breakfast around 10 a.m., something like that. I found that's great for my gut, but that's been a test as well. I've done a bunch of things. So workout, eat something that's going to be very nutritious. Then I get on my first course. I'm very much scheduled from Eight, sometimes to 7 pm, 8 pm. Like it's just sadly back to back to back to back to back scheduling. And when I say sadly, it's because sometimes I find myself I don't get creative freedom. And so when I don't get creative freedom, I go to my Saturdays and I know that I've jumped ahead. In fact, let me finish my weekday, my average Wednesday. So worked out, ate, done my work for the day. And I always always, always, always eat my dinner without working. That was one of those massive pivotal gut health moments where it's, I didn't realize that I was working and eating every single meal. And so I make a promise to myself now for dinner, I don't work. It doesn't matter how busy I am. I literally will schedule. I won't work. I'll switch off my phone and I'll eat my dinner in peace. That's a massive thing. Next thing, I make sure that I eat my dinner within three hours of going to bed because I don't go to sleep within a full stomach because your body is harder to digest your food and having gut issues. That was a massive thing. So if anyone has any gut issues out there or stomach issues, I advise trying to eat your last meal and that's taking your last bite. That's not starting your meal. That's taking your last bite. So now the biggest part of everything I just said is I do that Monday to Friday pretty much without fail to a T. I never set an alarm ever, a, a bedtime, a wake up alarm. So I go to bed at nine o'clock on the dot and I wake up when I wake up. That was a massive key for me as well. Now on Saturdays, because I didn't give myself care at all. And for 10 years as we were building quest, I was never paying attention to my health. I was never paying attention to my mindset. I was always putting myself last when my health went to crap, basically. I committed to always giving self-care to myself at least once a week. And now that's Saturday mornings. So Saturday morning, I switch my phone off. Now I go, you have no idea how many people were like, you can't switch your phone off for the whole. So in fact, actually, I'm lying to you. I switched my phone off now for the whole weekend. People freaked out. My family freaked out. People in business freaked out. And I just standard firm on my boundary. And I was like, okay, well, why are you freaking out? But what if we need to reach you? You're in England. Like, there's no emergency that gets me there within, you know, it takes me 18 hours, you know? So if there's an emergency, it would still take me 18 hours to get there. So ping Tom, and then he can ping me. If it's work, ping Tom. But Lisa, what if we don't have Tom's number? Then if you don't have Tom's number, you don't know someone that knows someone that has Tom's number, then the truth is you're not close enough to me to disturb my self-care time. And so making that promise to myself, telling people around me where that boundary is, and every Saturday, I switch my phone off and I draw and I have a piece of paper and I just draw. And it is the time just for me, just for the piece of paper. And I literally don't allow anyone to disturb my self-care time. And that has become my creativity. And so I, ha- I knew that I, I don't have time necessarily during the week, but I have to make sure that I do it at least once a week. And so I've just optimized my day and optimized what I eat and optimized where I spend my time all by having assessed where I perform the best, when I perform the best, not what everyone else does, not what all the health experts tell you to do, not what everyone else says. It's like, oh, this actually works for me. And so for everybody else, everything that I've just said, if you don't know where to start and you're trying to like really optimize your day or show up to be really strong, this is what I do. I work out to, for my mindset. Like I have to start my day with that. So for other people, what is that version for you? And then health, nutrition. If I have too many bad days of not eating well, my joints start to hurt. I feel foggy. And so that's not good for my business. And so I've assessed that. And so now I make sure that I don't eat sugar during the week. It doesn't help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love that you draw on Saturdays. I love that so much. I love that you express yourself creatively in that way. And thank you for sharing your day. I have... A couple more questions for you. If you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world, besides your book, what is one book
1: you would choose? The book is called Captivate by, she became my friend because I read the book and I was obsessed with her. And then I was like, I have to meet this woman. Her name is Vanessa Van Edwards. And the book is called Captivate. And that, I actually talk about her and that book in my book because I share a whole story in the book where, do you know Gary Vaynerchuk? Yes, Gary V. Okay, so Gary V had an event and it's a whole long story that I won't go into here. I go into the book, but he invited us, me and Tom. Tom couldn't go and I still wanted to go, but I was petrified. I had the imposter syndrome. Who the hell do I think I am? Go into this event by myself. It's Gary V's event. And so I literally found this book called Captivate written by Vanessa Van Edwards. And she talks about herself as being a recovering, awkward person. Mm, I love that. And so I think her title is something like a behavioral scientist. So she looks at like how people, like their body moves and like how, you know, when you're awkward, you do this. And so in her book, she talks about the zones of when you go to an event. And she talks about like the social zone. Like if you want to meet someone, go here. And so I use it in my book because radical confidence, I didn't have the confidence to go to a Gary V event, but radical confidence means you can be scared and put a toolkit together and do it anyway. And so I was like, great. I really want to go to, um, to go to this event, but I'm so scared. I need a toolbox. And so I read her book and she gave me the stepping stones on how to, where to go when I was in an event, what to do to drink a hot drink, for instance. Like she did this whole study and I can't remember the percent, so I don't want to butcher it, but it was something like, you're 80% more likely to be perceived as being warm-hearted if when someone first meets you, you're holding a hot drink.
0: Wow. Who would have known? This book sounds awesome and we'll link to it in the show notes as well as your incredible book. This has been so amazing, Lisa. I have loved this so, so much you are helping so many people. Women of Impact is amazing. And I'm coming on in a few weeks, which I'm so excited about. Yeah, buddy. Thank you for all the work that you do in the world, your books, Women of Impact, Quest, everything. You serve and you help so many people. So how can we give back to you today? How can we serve you?
1: Oh, thank you, girl. So really, it's like, if this has brought value, yeah, I would say check out the book. That's my thing is right now. I really poured my heart and soul into the book. And when I wrote it, I realized that no matter what the outcome is, I can't hold my validation and my worth to whether it does well or not. Um, and so I've really done the internal work of being proud of what I'm putting out. So if you think that I've brought value in everything that I've said, I just go deeper in the book. Um, and then just to share really is, you know, like tag and ask, like maybe tagging both of us on what, you know, really hit, resonated with someone in this podcast today. What is that struggle? Um, really, I do think that like, I I think no one can create anything by themselves, like global impact. You can't, no one can do it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just think of, you know, me and you as being these little pebbles that we're throwing into the water and your audience are the ripples that eventually create the tsunami. So If we're throwing the pebbles right now, how can your audience create those ripples? Um, I just think it would be, yeah, to share and let us know what impacted them. Mm,
0: I love that so much. This has been so beautiful. And yes, please come and share with us what you got from this episode. I have loved this conversation. And if I didn't have to go breastfeed, we would talk for another five hours, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) And this is how exactly you do the two things, right? You build a business and you have a family in real time. Exactly. And you finish this interview and you
0: go in breastfeed. That's it. I love
1: that. <laughs> That's hashtag Reals Talk right there. And I love that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I'm so happy that you ended that. <laughs> the conversation with that. That's it's perfect. the truth. It's the truth. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, my darling. This has been so awesome. I've loved our conversation I'll link to your book in the show notes. Thank you for sharing so openly and honestly with us and for all the work that you're doing in the world.
1: Thank you, homie.
0: I loved this conversation. It was so real, raw, honest, authentic, and I really loved her energy. She is so much fun and I could have spoken to her forever. And it's a nice reminder to not judge anyone with the decisions that they make, especially around whether someone chooses to have children or not. We're all doing the best and what is true for us. And we just need to stay in our own lane and do what feels right and true for us. Whether you have children or don't have children, whether you have one child or four children, you know, there's always like once you have one child, people are like, When are you having the next? When are you having the next? Let's just leave each other alone. Let's not judge each other and let's just stay in our own lane. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. So I really hope you got a lot out of today's conversation. And if you did, please subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. And please come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I love hearing from you. I love connecting with you. So please come and say hi on Insta. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself. And for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.